First of all, from John chapter 14, just three verses. Uh, in, a, in a sense, it, it takes us back to where we were last week, last, last Sunday morning, because last Sunday, Sunday morning's reading began with the same three verses. John 14, verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. And then from John 15, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this. Sorry, I've lost my place. <laughs> um, this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his, father's, his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Okay. And well, good morning, everybody. Um, it is lovely, as always, to be back here in Staperford. Um, my dear wife, Catherine, um, wasn't able to come today. As you may know, um, my mother-in-law died very recently, and... Barbara, my mother-in-law, um, was well known again to many of you here in the church. And 
in her final day, she described the nearness and dearness of Jesus to her. Some wonderful moments in the hospital um, where she would talk about how in the night, in the darkness of the night, and we're in dark times, we'll see some dark times in this passage, in the darkness of the night, the nearness of her saviour. And um, that was a great encouragement and challenge um, to us um, as we ministered and spent time with her in those precious hours. Well, hard times, dark times, stressful times even, could very well describe the times that we are in as a society at the moment. Um, As we look at the news, both in the United Kingdom and around the world, there's a lot going on, Um, some really tough stuff. In the UK, the cost of living um, crisis, the increases that we have seen, are causing acute pain and stress and distress to people we know, perhaps people here this morning. And we have to think about when these, these tough times, what choices do we make? What is key, what is truly important um, to us? What is the priority of our lives? And as we look at this passage, kind of the key thing here is the relationship between Jesus Christ in the dark times that his disciples faced, in the dark times that John, the gospel writer, his original readers faced, and of course for us here um, today as well. We're looking at the last of the I am sayings in John's gospel. They're really special. I hope you've um, enjoyed looking at them as a church family. And they're powerful. All of these I am sayings are spoken in relationship. So as we look at it this morning, it's not just a saying. This is Jesus communicating great truth about his relationship, particularly with his people. So remember, it's spoken into relationship, and it's spoken into relationship with each of us here today. Um, We're going to see today how Israel was the vine, but they blew it. We'll then see how Jesus is the true vine, and he perfected it. Thirdly, how Jesus loved, he really loved his disciples, and he had a purpose for their lives, but they, like Israel, were at risk of blowing that purpose too. And so fourthly, Jesus speaks to them, about the continuing closeness of his powerful presence so that they would remain faithful and fruitful to him. So that's where we're going today. Um, John's Gospel, I love it. Um, John wants you to feel the soil, to smell the fish. When you read his Gospel, it's so full of Jesus' dialogue, his words. He wants you to engage in the experience Experience of being in relationship with Jesus. That's the high point of John's gospel. He wants you to have that Thomas-like moment when he says, my Lord and my God. He wants you to feel the closeness of Jesus. And today as you look at this saying, please take away from this. This is spoken into relationship. It's spoken to people like you and me. And he wants you to feel that in relationship today. So first point, Israel was the vine, but they blew it. So the vine was a common sight in the Israelite world. 
There were lots of vines. They would have seen them. And in the Old Testament, it's used in a figurative sense. It's picture language in the Old Testament. And it's very visual. It symbolized prosperity and peace. What it was like to live in a good and right relationship with the living God. Everyone, Micah 4.4, everyone will sit under their own vine, under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. We've heard this morning about the situation in Hong Kong, and just understanding what it's like not to be in a place where there is peace. And again, so helpfully brought out to us the importance of being somewhere where there is relative peace, to be able to go out in the streets and enjoy that. Well, the figure of a vine communicate to the people of the Bible what it's like to live under peace and prosperity. That's the first thing. But it was also a picture of God's people, of Israel. They were chosen by God. In Psalm 80, again, which David read to us, you transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. The vine was a picture of God's people being put in God's place under his blessing and his rule. God loves his people. He wants them to enjoy peace and prosperity. He blesses them that they might be a blessing to others, that they might enjoy God's goodness, his peace and prosperity as well. And so then the verses from Isaiah, again, which we read. As I read these verses back to you, tune into God's love. Tune in then to Israel's failure in relationship with God. And hear God's response. Very briefly, a few verses again. I will sing for the one I love, a song about his vineyard. My loved one, God, has a vineyard, Israel, on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now, you dwellers in Jerusalem... And people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I look for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? The loved one, God. Choice vines, Israel, God's people. A vineyard, God's place. The watchtower, God's prophets. He did everything in relationship to his people because he loves them. And that's so powerful. It's a relational concept we're seeing here. They had a purpose, a God-given purpose, to be a blessing as they had been blessed by God. But they neglect justice, mercy, and faithfulness. They neglected or took advantage of the widow, the vulnerable, the immigrant, the orphan. They worshipped false gods. This was not a place of blessing. It wasn't a place of peace and prosperity. They blew it. And instead of being a vine in a troubled world, they were just the same as a troubled world around them. I've been growing tomatoes. I saw Ross's before. Um, I grew some in the greenhouse. They did great. We've got a lot of tomatoes off them. I grew some outside in the garden, and they were blighted. I've seen a blighted tomato. It's hideous. It's used for nothing. All I can do in the end is take these plants I've nurtured and I did nurture them in the house. Catherine loved that. These little plants were everywhere. I nurtured them. I planted them outside. 
but they were blighted. They produced bad tomatoes. They were fit for nothing. They didn't fulfill their purpose for them. Well, thank God, Jesus is the true vine, and he perfected it. Jeremy Hunt, as you may um, understand, has a very big problem to solve in our country. Very few envy his task at the moment. And yet we have an even bigger problem. Illegal occupation of Ukraine, children starving to death in Somalia, a brutal war in Ethiopia, men and women and children in the UK relying on food banks, looking for warm, safe places. This is not a settled world. This is not a world of peace and prosperity. What we need is a true vine. We need someone to bring in a kingdom of peace and prosperity. Twice in the passage we have read, Jesus refers to himself as the vine. Verse 1, I am the true vine. Verse 5, I am the vine. Whenever we hear repetition in the Bible, we should prick our ears up. God doesn't say things twice without a purpose. When he calls a name, speaks a name twice, it's like, oh, Martha, Martha. Now at the moment, Martha, Martha. Here he is, attuned. Vine, vine. He wants you to hear those words. It goes back when he says, I am. You may have heard this a few times now. To something that happened in the burning bush a long time beforehand with Moses. When God from the burning bush says, Ego Amy, I am. And if you break that down a bit, you have this really powerful statement. You have Ego, I, Amy, I am. I, 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 I am. Again, God wants you to pick up on something there. There's an emphasis on the I. Or he does it, he's saying, I am the self-defining one. You can't define me. I am the self-defining one. I, I am. And as you hear that, you then hear back in John's gospel, the end of the light of the world discourse, Jesus saying, before Abraham was, I am. There's no mistaking what he is claiming there. And John clearly means his readers to get at the beginning of John's gospel. One of those powerful words at the beginning of the gospel. The word was made flesh. And that word was God. It's mind-blowing. Imagine being there, the disciples, and, and hearing this before Abraham was, I am. They know what he's saying here. A self-defining one. Well, how does he define himself here at this moment in church history in this dark time, stressful time, I am the true vine. I am the vine. He's saying something. He doesn't want us to miss this. When he's saying true, I am the true vine, it's not always a contrast to what's false, but rather as the real vine compared to what was incomplete or imperfect. So when John writes, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean the law was false, but rather it was incomplete. So when Jesus says he's a true vine, he is saying that he is a true Israel. 
and only by belonging to him rather than to the nation of Israel that one can belong to the people of God and know peace and life with God. He's the one with whom we must be vitally connected. And this is a big claim, and Jesus knew it. As a true vine, he perfected, completed God's purpose for the vine. Righteousness, living according to God's standards and norms. And justice, putting things right that are broken. Perhaps just track back through the Gospels. Pull out a favourite encounter of yours with one of the people, the broken people, the hurting people, the people on the fringe of society that Jesus met. And just think about how he fulfilled God's demands for righteousness and justice with that person. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. What they need, Jesus' disciples, what we need is someone capable of saving them and bringing them into a place of peace with God. Justice and righteousness, that wasn't Israelite society. That wasn't the world that Jesus stepped into as a son of God. Nor was it the disciples' position in these hours before Jesus' arrest, crucifixion and death. They needed a saviour. We need a saviour. And Jesus completed this. He lived a righteous life. He lived the life that we should have lived, but failed to. He died the death that we should die, that we might escape the penalty of our sin. He is the true vine. He is the only true vine. Thirdly, Jesus loved the disciples and he had a purpose for their lives. But they, like Israel, were at risk of blowing it as well. So first of all, just see here in this passage how Jesus loved the disciples and had a purpose for their lives. You've seen it several times over. He wanted them to bear fruit. Verses 2, 4, 5, and 8. It's written large here. Their purpose was to love as they had been loved, to live as Jesus had lived, to bear the fruit that he bore. Their purpose was to flow from that love. And also it was a great purpose of dignity, wasn't it? Verses 15 and 16. These weren't just servants anymore, we see there. They were friends of his. What dignity he conferred upon them. But they're at risk of blowing it. Remind ourselves of the context here. Verse 12, there's a quick sequence of events as Jesus' public ministry draws to a close in which Jesus announces his death. He speaks about the unbelief of the people. And he explains clearly how he will die and how he will save. In chapter 13, we move into a more intimate scene in the upper room. Jesus there is ministering to his disciples, this little group of people who've been following around, preparing them for the very dark times that lay ahead it's a tender moment. I love those upper room scenes where he strips off his upper garments and he washes their feet. And then he's speaking to them, knowing that he's about to go away. He speaks to them. He knows they need deep and profound reassurance. And then you get this situation here where he's 
with the disciples. Um, Judas goes to betray him. All the disciples are um, deeply um, at ill ease. And that's the context in which he says to them, I am the true vine. Remember that. And again, I am the vine. You are the branches. Verse 5. They are gripped by separation anxiety. Just look at their distress. Thomas, we do not know where you're going. Philip, show us the Father. It's enough for us. This is a bunch of, of guys who love Jesus. And the idea of him going away is too much for them. And of course, when, they, when Jesus arrested, they all fell away. This is real, this separation anxiety. Perhaps you feel a bit like them today, full of anxiety, anxious, afraid. Jesus seems just too far away. If you know something of that, if you know something is to feel that Jesus is just a, a, too far away, you know something of the feeling the disciples had and which Jesus spoke into with this I am saying. And so forth, Jesus speaks to them about the continuing closeness of his powerful presence. Verse 5, I am the true vine, you are the branches. It's all about relationship with Jesus. And verse 1, I am the true vine and my father is a gardener. It's about how through Jesus we come into relationship with God, God the Father. When we hear the word branches, and you may have heard this explained this way before, it's easy to think of a tree, tree trunk, branches going out. We perhaps have that in mind, and you think that's the idea of it. Through the the tree trunk we get the the nutrients, etc., that we need as branches. But this is saying something far closer than a normal tree trunk. I am the vine. And the point here is that the branches are part of the vine. They're almost indissociable, indistinguishable, inextricable, it would seem. You think, where do the branches begin and where does the vine end? Well, it's very hard to see it with a vine. And so the emphasis here of this particular passage is the closeness, the extraordinary closeness of the relationship between Jesus and his disciples, between Jesus and those who put their trust in him. Jesus is saying here that his people have the closest possible association with him. Closer than parent and child, closer than spouse, closer than sibling, closer than close friends. These are all important relationships. And some can evoke painful feelings for people in different ways. But here Jesus is saying, I am the vine, you are the branches. We are extraordinarily close if you remain in me. And now remember the context. He's going away. I am the true vine. I am the vine, you are the branches. He's saying, even though I will be going away, we will remain extraordinarily close close he's comforting them with the continuing closeness of his powerful presence through me through me you'll get all you need abide in me remain in me and so lastly let's look at some implications then for us from this i'll pull out a few i've got a little bit of time left um 
So number one, relationship with Jesus, relationship with the true vine, defines every relationship, every relationship that you have. People should relate to us as they relate to the vine. If you're a Christian, it's lovely. And one of the things I love about preaching and leading services is you look at the gathered people of God in the vine, closely linked. Your relationship with Jesus defines every other relationship in this place. We also see this, verse 18, that there are those who reject Jesus and who will reject his disciples because of that closeness. Because of that closeness. And perhaps you know Christians, perhaps you yourself have found that people have walked away from you, rejected you because of your relationship with him. So one, your relationship with Jesus, if you're a Christian, will define and should define every other relationship. Number two, there's a warning. Verse 2a, he cuts off every branch that bears no fruit. Again, verse 6, he says this, if you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. These are serious words. Again, remember the context in which they're spoken. These are serious, sobering words. The first I am saying here, I am the tree vine and my father is the garden, is the only I am saying with this additional assertion. Jesus is the vine and his father is the gardener. Now that is comforting. I want to have relationship with a perfectly good, loving father. I adore my father in heaven. If you're a Christian, you will too. And that's comforting. Through Jesus Christ, you can relate to the Father in heaven. But it's also uncomfortable because the Father's care for the vine means that he cuts off branches that bear no fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they bear even more fruit. That isn't comfortable. Nobody here will find that comfortable. But it is a truth that Jesus communicates through this I am saying. Verse 6, those that are cut off, Jesus says, are thrown into the fire and burnt. It's a picture of judgment, of God's wrath, even of hell. It's a fearful thing. And there's a certain logic to it also. Life is through connection with Jesus Christ, the author of life, through whom all things are made. If you choose to reject life, to reject Jesus Christ, through whom all things are made, then you're cutting yourself off from the, the source of life, the source of goodness, the source of nutrients. And so if you're not a Christian this morning, you know, speak to somebody here, speak to me, let us introduce you to the person of Jesus Christ. He is perfectly good. He is awesomely, wonderful, loving. Ask them, tell me about Jesus, the real historical Jesus. Tell me what it's like to be in relationship 
with him. And so our question should be is, well, how do I remain? I do not want to be cut off. I do not want to stop bearing fruit. Do you? Of course not. You want to be fruitful, okay? So how do you remain? Well, thankfully, Jesus answers that question, verses 2. Every, um, how do you remain? Because every branch of me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so it will bear even more, be even more fruitful. How do you remain in the vine? Okay, by bearing fruit. Well, what does that mean? Verse 10, by keeping his commandments. Verse 7, his words must remain in us. What does it mean to keep his commandments? What does it mean for his words to remain in us? Does it mean religious, religious ritual? Does it mean doing lots of good works? Well, verse 12, Jesus spells it out. My command, verse 12, is this. Love each other as I have loved you. And in verse 13, he expresses, the, expresses the, the priority of love. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. How do we bear fruit? Loving as we have been loved. Blessing as we have been blessed. We bear the fruit of the one we follow. We bear the fruit of the vine who kept God's commandments. He loved God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and he loved his neighbor as himself. This is not about ritual or religious fervor. It's about relationship, and through that relationship, being like the vine, bearing his fruit. Note this, and I, I like this about this passage. Note how the three persons of the Trinity are fully committed to you bearing fruit. It's from Jesus, the vine, that we Christians have received grace upon grace. He appointed us to bear fruit and fruit that will last, verse 16. The Father, he's the gardener. He loves the vine. He loves the vine. He wants the vine to bear much fruit. It's something he takes great pleasure in. And then we have verse 26, if you read on. We have God's dear Holy Spirit, the mighty Holy Spirit of God, our advocate in heaven, sent by Jesus to be with us, our comforter, our counsellor, very present, abiding in us. And so the whole three persons of God, the whole Trinity, are committed to the branches being in the vine and bearing much fruit. So if you're a Christian, God, in every way possible, is committed to your fruitful living for Jesus and bearing much fruit. So in this saying, there is, and I hope you've enjoyed just looking at John's Gospel, the wonderful potential of life with Jesus. Think about how the vine grows. It grows through the branches out into the world. Well, let me wrap up with a few illustrations which I hope will help you, particularly feeling on the fringe of life as a Christian this morning. Let me give you some examples of how this might work out practically. Tomorrow morning, if you wake up in low spirits, doubting perhaps your significance, Remind yourself, Jesus is the true vine 
and I am more closely and vitally connected to him than to my spouse if you're married, to my siblings if you have siblings, to my children if you have children, to my dear friends if you've got dear close friends. There is nobody closer to you tomorrow morning you wake up, no more more committed to you when you wake up than dear almighty God. If you're at work tomorrow and you've got a difficult meeting or a difficult relationship to face, pray, thank you, Jesus, that you are the true vine and I am one of the branches. Thank you for appointing me to go and bear much fruit, fruit that will last. Help me in this meeting. Help me with this person to show your love, to show the extent of your love and to make a real impact for you in their lives. Perhaps more you'll speak to someone who is anxious, fearful about how they'll get through the winter, the cost of a living crisis, overwhelmed, overcome with anxiety. Perhaps say to them, I don't know the answer to all your problems. I want to help. I want to show you the, the goodness of God in this moment. And I know this, that there is one, I heard a sermon yesterday about a true vine. You know, he's Jesus. He loves you with extraordinary, with perfect love. Can I tell you a bit more about what it's like to be at peace with God through him? As you go into tomorrow, just take these verses, go back to them and pray them through. Whatever your circumstance, it's always good to pray scripture. It's a great springboard for prayer. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the true vine. Thank you, Father, that you're a gardener. I don't always find it comfortable. I find it painful at times. But thank you that in your goodness, you're ministering, caring for me. Thank you, Jesus, you're the true vine. And the closeness of my relationship with you is one I want to explore, go deeper with every day. And so be encouraged today through this saying, the last of the I am sayings, be encouraged wherever the darkness of the times, whatever stress you're facing, however difficult it seems, that there is one who is close to their brother, the one who is a true and faithful friend. And so I'm going to close with a song 